Welcome to AM Now, where we bring you the trending accounting matters we're following. I'm your host, Adam Olson, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Nicole Harger and Matt Visser. Each bite-sized episode keeps you and your finance and accounting teams in the know. Join us each week as we unpack these issues, topics, and accounting matters now. You're listening to AM Now, an accounting matters podcast. I'm Adam Olson. And I'm Nicole Harger. We're kicking things off for this week with an update from the FASB on their longstanding project for targeted improvements to the hedge accounting guidance in Topic 815. Back in 2017, through the issuance of ASU 2017-12, the board made targeted improvements to the hedge accounting model with the objective of improving the financial reporting of hedging relationships to better portray the economic result of risk management activities in the financial statements and to generally simplify the application of hedge accounting guidance. Stakeholder feedback, however, on this original ASU resulted in the FASB proposing another ASU in 2019 for further targeted improvements, which has yet to be finalized and is still being deliberated by the board. The board convened last week to discuss comment letter feedback on the proposed amendments in the 2019 ASU relating to one particular issue, contractually specified components in cash flow hedges of non-financial forecasted transactions. The board reached a few key decisions on the model for hedging non-financial components. Specifically, the board decided to amend the guidance for identifying risk components eligible to be designated as the hedged risk in a cash flow hedge of a forecasted non-financial transaction. The eligibility determination will now be based on the clearly and closely related criteria within the normal purchase and normal sales scope exception. The board also reached decisions on the hedging of non-financial components in derivative contracts. The board decided not to affirm one proposed addition originally in the 2019 proposed ASU. Instead, the board decided to amend an existing paragraph of guidance in ASC 815 to indicate that entities are not precluded from hedging a variable risk component in a forward contract accounted for as a derivative if the associated forecasted transaction is probable of occurring. No shocker here, (laughs) since this project has continued to drag out, the board will continue its deliberations on the matters in future meetings. Next, we will discuss two significant sustainability-related proposed bills in the New York State Senate. S5437 and S897A. This would be the second state in the U.S. to move forward, if passed, with significant sustainability reporting requirements behind California, which passed its package of climate reporting bills last fall. The first bill, S5437, requires certain companies to prepare a climate-related financial risk report. Companies subject to the bill are financial service entities that operate in the state of New York and have annual gross revenues of at least $500 million in the prior calendar year. The bill also amends the financial services law and requires companies to disclose their climate-related financial risks and the measures adopted to reduce and adapt to these risks. This would be in line with the existing TCFD framework. The report also must be submitted to the New York Secretary of State and made available to the public no later than December 31st of 2024 and annually thereafter. Notably, the bill as proposed does not include an assurance component for the report. The second bill, S897A, amends the environmental conservation law and establishes the Climate Corporate Accountability Act. Impacted entities are those that operate in the state of New York and have total annual revenues in excess of $1 billion, including revenue from subsidiaries that do business in New York State. 
This bill requires that companies publicly disclose its scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions in line with the GHG protocol, which are subject to an independent audit. If passed, this act will be effective two years after it becomes law, and the penalty for willful noncompliance is $100,000 per day. Not messing around there. No, they aren't. The rationale behind these bills is clear, with climate change posing increasing threats to the stability of financial markets and the global economy, there's a growing recognition of the need for greater transparency regarding climate-related risks. By requiring entities to disclose this information, the bills aim to promote informed decision-making among investors, regulators, and the public. As with any legislation, these bills are going to be subject to debate and scrutiny as they move through the legislative process. And in other ESG news, China's three major stock exchanges announced that they would be implementing mandatory sustainability reporting requirements for all listed companies. This move represents a significant step towards greater transparency and accountability in the Chinese business landscape. So what exactly does this mean? Well, it means that companies listed on these stock exchanges will now be required to disclose their information about their environmental, social, and governance performance. So this includes factors such as carbon emissions, energy use, biodiversity, rural revitalization, and anti-corruption, among others. The introduction of mandatory sustainability reporting reflects, once again, growing recognition of the importance of ESG factors among investors, regulators, and the public. By providing more comprehensive and standardized information about their sustainability practices, companies can better meet the growing demand for transparency and accountability from stakeholders. This move also aligns with other major markets such as the EU CSRD and the proposed SEC climate disclosure rules in the US. As the world's largest emitter of greenhouse gases and a significant contributor to global pollution, China faces increasing pressure to transition towards a more sustainable and environmentally friendly economic model. Mandatory reporting requirements are effective in 2026 for the 2025 reporting period. Moving on, the SEC recently adopted new rules that expanded the definition of dealers or government securities dealers to include significant market participants. In essence, these new rules aim to bring certain entities that engage in significant securities activities under the regulatory umbrella of the SEC. This includes entities that may not traditionally be considered dealers, but play a substantial role in the securities markets, such as private funds and principal trading firms. Impacted entities would also be required to join a self-regulating organization, such as FINRA. By broadening the definition of dealers, the SEC seeks to enhance oversight and transparency in the securities markets, particularly in light of the increasing prominence of electronic trading and other forms of market activity. These changes are designed to ensure that all market participants adhere to the same regulatory standards and fulfill their obligations to maintain fair and orderly markets. Critics argue that expanding the definition of dealers could impose undue regulatory burdens on certain market participants, while proponents argue that this will protect investors and promote market integrity, resiliency, and transparency. Yeah, and certain exclusions do apply to that rule, including any person controlling less than $50 million in assets, as well as certain investment companies. The rules will take effect 60 days after publication in the Federal Register, and the compliance date will be one year later. And that rounds us out for this week. 
for a deeper dive into what's trending in accounting, finance, and sustainability reporting, check out our other podcast on the Accounting Matters feed on your preferred listening platform. Again, I'm Adam Olson. And I'm Nicole Harger. Thanks for listening to AM Now. We'll We'll see see you next week. week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.